It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Matt Pacheni. And today we are the Two Smart Assets. For those yet not familiar with Matt, he is a real estate investor, Tony Award winner, and author of the number one best-selling book, Backstage Guide to Real Estate. He's focused on developing passive income streams that enable investors to write their own story and choose how they want to spend their time. Matt, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what, man? I've been excited about this since we linked up uh, a week or two ago. Uh, you know, typically we like to kick the show off by hearing more about you, the guest, Matt. So tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to get today to get to where you are in real estate. Would love to. So do you remember where you were in 2001, like early 2001? Uh, I think I was in, yeah, I think I was in high school. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I was living in New York City. And I was running a digital marketing business I had created. And at the beginning of 2001, you might remember the whole world was sort of collapsing because the, the, the dot-com bubble had burst. Right. And so my business, which was digital marketing, was imploding. I mean, all of my clients were either going out of business or if it was a bigger company that wasn't going out of business, they weren't spending any money on digital marketing. And you know, it, it was a really rough time. And I get home one day and my landlord calls me and tells me that I got 90 days to move out of the place where I'm living. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting here in a situation where I'm, I'm in New York City. My business is completely failing. I got to find a new place to live. And how am I going to get a place to rent with like not being able to verify my income at this point? <laughs> it just, it was a bad situation. Um so within those 90 days, I was able to get a job. I started working in-house at Showtime, the cable channel. They were a, a client of mine. And I was planning to rent on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That was the place where I wanted to live. But my sister lived up in Washington Heights. It's about 30 minutes north. And she saw an ad on a bulletin board for a co-op uh, apartment unit that was being sold. Um, so I actually ended up buying a place instead of renting. And about a little over two years later, I sold that apartment and more than quadrupled my initial investment in it. Wow. And that was the, it's exactly what I said. Wow. <laughs> and then I said, how can I do that again? Right. I mean, that was the light bulb moment for me of, wow, this real estate thing, this is super powerful. And I got very, very interested in figuring out how can I do another real estate deal? Uh, I ended up buying another place, another primary residence that I lived in. Um, now in that, that area, the desirable area that I wanted to be in the Upper West Side. 
Um, so I was able to do that. And then about a year later, I bought my first investment property. And that was a, a piece of land in Northwest Connecticut, which a few years later I developed. Um, it was uh, it was just a house. It wasn't a big development, right? But when I bought it, it was just trees. It was a, almost an acre of land with just trees. So we went, we, we, we marked the trees, we knocked them down, dug a hole, poured a foundation. And I really learned what it takes to build a house, like literally from the ground up. Sure. Um, so it was a, an amazing experience learning how to build the house. And then I ended up renting out that house. And so I learned a lot about rentals and learned about all the fun, boring stuff like accounting <laughs> and depreciation and things that are super important that uh, if you've never done this before, you don't really know until you're in an investment property, what these things are and how they work. Um, from there, I started doing real estate as a hobby. I mean, it was a hobby for me for 10 years as I continued to work in, in the corporate world in New York City, um, working in the advertising. Uh, I, I went from Showtime to, to a bunch of different advertising agencies and sort of climbed the corporate ladder. Um, and uh, I was doing real estate as a hobby for like 10 years. And then my wife got approached completely out of the blue with an amazing job opportunity in Miami, Florida. So we moved from New York to Miami. And it was that time, that was about six and a half years ago now, that I transitioned from doing real estate as a hobby to doing real estate full-time. Okay. And so right now I'm a full-time real estate investor and syndicator, um, as you mentioned before. And I also uh, do a little dabbling in some uh, theatrical endeavors along with my wife. Well, you have quite the diverse background, right? And I, I love your story about, you know, coming up and building your own house and, you know, kind of turning into a rental and stuff like that. I, I love that story. And so I do have a question, you know, you said you had this basically 10 year period, you were working in the corporate life, all that stuff, but you were, you were still investing in real estate on the side. Were those um, single family homes, single family rentals, multifamilies? What, what did that look like? Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that I did before I got full time into the apartment investing was the house. That was a huge project for me. And then I started doing a little bit of single family. I did a couple of fix and flips uh, to varying uh, results, some good, some bad. Um, but uh, the, you know, I really went full time with the with going into the large, large apartment buildings. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you know, why why move into into the apartment buildings? You know, what was about uh, you know single family rentals or whatever flips and stuff like that that kind of pushed you into into multifamily? What was the reasons for that? I, I really wanted to invest in. Um, I, I wouldn't say extremely long, but but longer term than just the fix and flips. Some people say that fix and flips really isn't even real estate investing. I, I, I don't know if I would go that far, but sure. I mean, it still is real estate. But the question is, is it really an investment because you're buying it for such a short period of time, doing the work, and then going ahead and selling it for a profit? My initial plan was I was going to do that. I was going to flip properties and cherry pick certain ones that I might keep or use the capital that I was generating from them to purchase single family buy and hold type properties. Gotcha. I mean, I still have a couple that I had bought. I had bought some turnkey properties in, in Memphis, actually. Um, they cash flow extremely well right now. I mean, they, they, they have since day one, they've done extremely well. The problem that I found out, and I, and I talk about it in, in my book, is that there's a limit. You know, you, you can really only get 
10 single family homes in the what I consider the most desirable, which is to have that conventional loan, right? That 30 year fully amortizing, you know, Fannie or Freddie uh, backed loan. They're, they're, they're you know, I, I think I heard someone call them the golden tickets. You get like 10 golden tickets, right? Because after that, um, Fannie and Freddie, you, you just don't fall into that underwriting anymore. You don't qualify for it. So you can still get loans, right? There are people who buy them hundreds of, of, of single family homes, but they're putting them under a portfolio loan. And you don't, you know, that's going to have maybe a floating interest rate or redress every five years. It may amortize on 20 years or 25 years, maybe 30. I mean, there's many different variables, but it's basically a commercial loan um, product at that point. And I don't think it's as advantageous. Without having that really great golden ticket type of loan structure, I don't really see much of a benefit of buying, let's say, 100 single-family homes, even if they're in the same town, that's still 100 different locations, 100 different tax bills you have to worry about, 100 different roofs that you need to worry about. Um, When we buy a 100-unit property, there's usually one tax bill. Maybe there's two parcels attached to one another, but it's essentially one tax bill. Um, you know, maybe it's 10 roofs, you know, because it's not necessarily all 100 units under in one structure, but they're all right next to each other. You can have a full-time property manager, a full-time maintenance team. There's a lot of advantages and economies of scale with buying a 100-unit property versus a 100-single-unit property, single-unit, single-family, sorry. My tongue got a little tied there. So I think um, that was sort of my thought process along the way. I mean, again, single families, are, I still have those two single family houses. They're great. But I, I found that the scalability of going with the larger um, has made a lot more sense for me. And I think that a lot of people kind of that have followed a similar path to yours, right? They find that same thing, right? It's the scalability and it's the efficiency, right? You have the ability to, be, to scale your portfolio and do things uh, basically under one roof instead of a hundred roofs, right? You know, kind of just like you're saying. So I think that's a great point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, it's funny because I also started uh, my real estate investing career with single family rentals. Uh, and then I finally stumbled upon uh, passive investing and syndications. And, you know, I was kind of kicking myself for not knowing about it earlier, really when I, when I found it. Right. So, you know, you've successfully, uh, you know, invested in single family and you, you know, maneuvered from that space in your way into syndication now. So I got to ask, cause I ask anybody I talk to with this, how did you first find out about syndications and how did you actually get into syndications for the first time? When we moved from New York to Miami, I had some time to kill. I didn't have a job. And I hadn't decided yet that I wanted to do real estate full-time. Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, which I'm sure most of your listeners know. <laughs> and uh, Kiyosaki talks about creating these you know, multiple streams of passive income. So that was something that, um, that I wanted to do. Uh, when, so w- when we made the move down there, I was listening to that. I was also listening to the Hamilton cast album. Uh, Hamilton had just come out. We'd actually invested in the show. We're big fans of it. And I was listening and hearing the cast of Hamilton. Um, This was like literally at the same time. I would like listen to a chapter of Kiyosaki and then like take a break and listen to (laughs) little Hamilton. Right. And there's that song um, called uh, take my shot. Right. And they're saying, you know, don't throw away your shot. You know, I'm going to take my shot. I got to take a shot. And I'm listening to that. I'm listening to Kiyosaki, you know, passive income. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there trying to get a job. 
because we had just moved down in advertising because that's what I had done. I had a career for 18 years in New York City doing advertising work. And I didn't really want to do that. And most of the places I was going out and interviewing at, I had no interest in. And then I just keep hearing in my head, like literally voices in my ear telling me to take a shot, telling me to develop passive income. And I really liked real estate, had done it pretty successfully as a hobby for 10 years. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take my shot. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to start doing real estate. So I jumped headfirst into it, was doing all these fix and flips, but I was listening to podcasts now. I started listening to podcasts after podcasts after podcasts. I have a section in my book that I call Podcast University, sharing all the things that I learned in these podcasts. And I heard one time somebody mention something about syndication. And I had never heard of this before. And then I heard uh, that they had a podcast. And they were an interesting guest. And so I listened to their podcast and there was many, many episodes with no talk about. And then one time they talk about syndication. I'm like, yeah, this is the thing I want to know more about, you know. And then they talked about somebody else who does something with syndication or they had a guest on or so. I don't know. So somehow I kind of like, because this was back. So nowadays, if you go into iTunes or wherever and look for podcasts on oh, syndication, yeah. there's like a gazillion, right? I mean, there's no shortage of them. But back then, I'm telling you, there wasn't any. Um, I So through kind of stumbling through, I found my way onto um, the real estate guys. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with the real estate. Oh, uh, yes. I think it's called the real estate guys radio show, even though it's, mm. it's a podcast. I think it is still aired on the radio. And they had a seminar called The Secrets of Successful Syndication. And I went to that. And that really gave me a 30,000-foot view of syndication and what it is. I, I had always wanted to go bigger. Sure. I have uh, this – we live in a townhouse in Brooklyn that we we purchased when we initially lived in New York. I'm back in New York now. It's kind of a long story. But <laughs> um, we purchased this property and – it was actually a house hack. I didn't even know that that was a term. I didn't know it was a thing. I've learned it since. But so we have, for those who don't know, we 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 um you know we we had tenants in one unit and lived in the other, and that's kind of what a house hack is. So um, that worked out really well. The amount that we were paying, um, you know, we were paying the mortgage, and the tenants were paying more than half of the mortgage, but we had half of the property that we were living in. And, maybe a little bit more than half because we had access to the backyard and they did not. So I, I knew that it was a great deal. And I wanted to find other deals like this in Brooklyn and I couldn't find anything. Mm. Um, but more than that, I couldn't afford anything. Sure. To buy something, you cannot buy anything in Brooklyn that's going to be less than seven figures, right? So I, I needed like you know a few hundred thousand dollars, which I just didn't have. Um, and so I was sort of held back by the fact that I just didn't have enough capital to do larger deals. So I heard about syndication. We were in Miami now, but I heard about syndication. I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I need to do. Because if I can get a bunch of investors together and we all put our money together, well, then getting you know 500,000 or 5 million is not that hard. I mean, obviously it's hard. It's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> but I think the the idea for me was, okay, how long is it going to take me before I have $5 million to put in as equity on a deal? Or how long until I can develop enough relationships to raise $5 million? And I'll put in money, you know, I'll put in money on it, obviously, but I don't have to put all the money in. 
and can get other people to put their money in. And we can all take down these larger assets that we wouldn't be able to do on our own and have those economies of scale like we're talking about. I mean, one of the reasons why people don't just go out and buy a hundred unit property is because like they don't have the capital, they don't have the experience, right? But if you can go ahead with someone who has the experience, who's pulling together the capital, and then you can invest and take part in that, you can do you can do just as well as single family or better. And quite honestly, uh, if you're a passive investor, two-thirds of my portfolio on passive, there's really no headaches. I mean, I have to vet the person and vet the deal. So there is a little bit of work up front. But once it's someone that I know and I can trust them and I like the, the, the deal and the market, I give them my money and then... You know, there's not much else I can do at that point anyhow because I'm a limited partner. But you know, I give them my money, and then hopefully they send me some checks at some point, right? Uh, hopefully the deal does well, and and you know, on the average, they have done very well, so it's been good. Yeah, and you bring up a lot of great points about syndication in general, right? And we'll probably get into some of those later. But I do. I, you brought up something. You said you know about two thirds of your portfolio is really from uh, the LP side, of passive investments, right? And I think a yeah. lot of a lot of our listeners are passive investors, and maybe they've done like a single family, want to have one rental or something like that, you know. Um, but so you'll, I think you'll appreciate this question. But you know, before you got into syndications, you were an active investor, an active single family investor, right? And one of the big differences between being passive and active is control, right? That's like the big thing, right? So considering yeah. you you had experience on the active side, now you're doing syndications as well on the active side. But when you first entered into the syndications, you were a passive investor. Did you have any hangups about giving up control to a sponsor of a syndication because yeah. you're coming from an active side? Yeah, yeah, massive. Uh- Massive issues with that, but also a little bit of relief because I knew that buying a hundred unit property was going to be a little bit of a different animal than a single family or duplex. And again, I'd worked on things. I had built the house from scratch, you know, and managed that whole thing. I'm pretty good with those kinds of things. And I wanted to actively syndicate deals. But I also had capital that I wanted to deploy and wanted to build up my passive income as well. So I'm on two paths right now. Um, I'm on a path of uh, just passive income that I'm continuing to build and grow that portfolio. And then I have the deals that, that I'm running and managing on my own. But I, I, those two are completely separate sure. paths. Um, but it's, it is sort of unnerving if you've done this before um, to one extent or another in real estate to then sort of relinquish control. But if it's somebody that you, it's so cliche, people say it all the time, but it's true, people that you know, like, and trust, then I think that you can, it's worked out really well for me, but I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And that's one of the things that I talk about in my book. There's there's three things that I look at, a de- at with a deal. I look at the sponsor, the market, and the deal itself. And you need to you need to vet these things carefully sure. because you can get in with a sponsor who doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't care, or whatever. Just maybe they care and they they know, but they just are unable to execute whatever and and not do very well. 
Um, and, and the reverse can happen too. You can get into a mediocre deal with a really great sponsor and it can do exceptionally well. So, um, there, there's, there's a lot of things that you need to look at when you're vetting these deals. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there, Matt. And especially, you know, if you're a passive investor and listening to this, heed these words because the most important part of the deal is the sponsor, right? Uh, absolutely. Obviously, you got to look at the three things that you just mentioned, Matt. Very, very important, all three, but sponsors number one. So, highly recommend if you're listening to the show or now you're thinking about getting into passive investing, check out a resource like Matt's book. You know, go, go find that chapter where he talks about, you know, you know, talking to a sponsor, doing the due diligence there, because that's going to be super important. So uh, definitely don't skip that. One thing I do want to ask, you know, as a passive investor, and you know, you knew you wanted to go on the active side, being a passive investor, making that transition, what were your biggest takeaways, some of the biggest takeaways you took from making those passive investments that helped you become or helped you in your transition to an active investor? Did you learn anything from that experience? And what did you take away? Yeah. So I was going down both paths at the same time. Okay. So, so it wasn't a, a, a transition from one to the other. I still do a ton of passive investing, but I did learn a lot. And, and part of the reason why I did start investing passively is actually what you're saying. I thought that I would learn things from watching other people do their deals. And I don't know if I've ever been asked that question before. So I'm kind of thinking about it as I'm speaking right now. There was a lot of things just like in life that I think that I've synthesized over time sure. from my experiences, whether it's been investing in real estate or investing in something else or just doing business, right? Sort of best practices. One of the things that was really great for me was to see the different um, types and um, uh, cadence of communication from the sponsorship team to me as an investor and made it very clear to me how I wanted to communicate with my investors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I've taken, you know, a little bit from this and this sponsor and a little from that one. And, oh, well, I don't want to do what that guy did and have created what, what I have as my reports, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go in in a little detail. You know, I get, sometimes I get these reports. So first off, I like to get reports on a monthly basis, at least for the first sure. year or two, because most of these deals are value add deals. There's a lot of stuff going on in the first few months. And so there's some information that as you get further along, if you're in a deal three or four years and the deal's performing well, and, you know, you're getting the distributions and everything's just going like clockwork. You don't really need an email every month. Like you can get it quarterly because it doesn't really have any information. But the first couple of years, I want to see things on a monthly basis. And what I don't like, um, I don't like when when the 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 invest the uh, sponsor sends me an email and it's like, hey, attached is this month's report. And then like I open this up and I got like a 50-page PDF that I have to like go through. <laughs> and usually there's an executive summary up front, but it's just it's a lot. And so what I like, what I do in mine, I have uh, in the body of the email all the important information. Mm. So I have, you know, a few paragraphs about like how we're doing. I have a little chart. I put the chart together, one chart, very simple, showing projected versus actuals on the income expenses and NOI. Okay. And then a link, like here's the detailed report, right? You can click on the detailed report and then it's got everything, you know, the T12 and the cash flow and the balance sheet and the rent roll and everything, you know, you know very transparent. But 99.9% .9 of the time, my investors never click on that link. It's there for them to have it, but I already put everything that they really need to know 
like right in that email, right in the body of the email. And so I prefer, I mean, I just, like I said, I have two thirds of my portfolio, I'm a passive investor. And so like everything that I do as a sponsor, I just try to set it up the way that I would want it as a passive investor. The same thing with like the investor decks, like when I'm presenting a deck to people, I like, okay, what do I want as a passive investor? You know, return thresholds. Like I won't get involved in a deal as a sponsor if it's not going to give to the passive investor. And by the way, I'm, I am buying those same passive class A shares in my own deals. So investing in my own deals, I want my deals to be worse than the ones I'm willing to invest in that are not mine. Right. So I make sure that those return thresholds all meet um, that, that, that same uh, criteria. So I mean, there's just tons of things that are taken from being a passive investor and applied it to my own active syndication business. Yeah. And I love that you bring up communication too, right? Because it's so important. Just like you said, because everybody's going to read something differently, right? And you found what works best for you and you've been able to curate your message in a certain way to where your investors, they don't they might not need all the the details, all the, you know, everything. They can read this this body that you've written very well and they can get all the information they need from that. But if they want additional information, they can click on that. But it seems like yeah. you're doing a it seems like you're doing a great job in your messaging uh, anyway. So I'd love to hear that. And you know, Matt, so I've been on your website a lot uh, and you know, through our conversation, just a couple of other things, you know. Um, you're doing very well as an as an active syndicator. I've seen, you know, your properties and stuff like that. But you know, what I've come to learn from, you know, what I understand of you is real estate investing is it's not just about the profits to you, you know, it's about helping others and the community and stuff like that. Right. So um, can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you and how you've been able to make an impact on others and the communities through real estate investing? Yeah. The subtitle of my book. So my book's called Backstage Guide to Real Estate. So the backstage is that nod to my theatrical background and, and interest in there um, and then real estate. But the, the subtitle, is produce passive income, write your own story, and direct your dollars toward positive change. Because that's what I'm really trying to help people do. I'm trying to help investors be able to generate this passive income. That passive income allows them to do what they want in life. That's writing their own story, right? And then directing their dollars towards positive change. I am hoping that people will spend their time and their money um, you know, as they're generating this passive income to do to do things positive in the world. Uh, I don't run a charity. Uh, we are in this to to make money. But I do think that the bottom line doesn't just have to be about the almighty dollar. And every project that I get involved in has some sort of um, benefit, win-win for everybody involved. So when it's the uh, with the apartment buildings, you know, we're looking to improve lives for the residents, for the staff who work there, and then for the investors, right? So we do all kinds of different things. We, we make sure that our employees are treated very well, um, that they earn a fair wage and get time off and all of those kinds of things. It's really important to us. And we, we try to incentivize them with different bonuses and do all kinds of great things. And then we try to do wonderful things for the community as well, giving away turkeys on Thanksgiving, uh, doing, we, we do all kinds of fun things for the, for the you know, for the um, for the residents, and we work with them. Um, that was really evident during COVID, but even before mm. COVID, we're not in the business of throwing people out of their units just because they're having an issue paying their rent. Now, ultimately, the rent does need to get paid, 
It is not that you can live in our properties for free, but we work with people. We help them get assistance programs. We help work out payment plans. Um, and it's it's a good for the bottom line for the investor too, because the highest cost that we have is a turnover cost, right? So if we can keep someone in a unit, get them back on track, is better for them. It's better for everybody. We don't have the vacancy. We don't have the turnover cost, and we have happy residents. And so that's something that's really important to us, fostering that really great sense of community. Um, I think that landlords um, get a really bad rap, you know, and I'm really interested in reinventing property ownership mm-hmm. as a positive for communities. And I think we can do that. I actually wrote an article that was published in Fast Company about that and about how landlords don't have to be evil. Um, we can be good guys. And I think landlords can be heroes. And I think it's it's important that we're portrayed in the media in this sort of, you know, the evil guy with his gut sticking out and a cigar, you know, like, you know, and slumlord, right? And there are people who are like that, you know, sure, sure. there are. But I think there's a lot of us who are who are not like that. We're trying to move society forward and be a, a progressive, positive influence, you know. And um, and so that's something that's really important to me. You know, I love to hear that. You don't hear that often on at least on our show, you know, much about that. So being able to provide investments for for past investors, but also make an impact on the community. I think that's huge, right? And and speaking just of passive investors, you know, obviously they're they're in it to get a return, right? But knowing that, you know, these investments are also working another way, providing an impact on the community and the residents and stuff like that. It's just another reason why this is just a, a great story and a good investment in general, right? So I think it's a I think it's awesome, man. Uh Matt, you know, it's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed getting to know your story, man, and your experience and all that stuff. But before we get out of here, tell us more about your book, Backstage Guide to Real Estate your current focus and any projects you're working on, man. Sure. Well, Backstage Guide has been has been a focus for the past couple of years. Um, I wrote the book coming out of my meetup group that I had where there was people who were interested in passively investing in deals and wanted me to overlook the deals and give them some suggestions or tips. And I ended up, that, that, that was kind of the impetus to write the book. Uh, I wrote it. It was a really boring, dry book of just technical information. I said, wow, I got to make this palatable for people to actually read. So I took my narrative of my life. And so this, the, the book is, this, is, is my story and my journey in real estate starting as a rank amateur, knowing absolutely nothing in real estate. So in the early chapters, we talk about like, what is an asset? What is a liability? And going all the way through to the end where I'm talking about air rights and 1031 exchanges. And so through that book, I share the keystone concepts that I learned along my, along my journey. So there's 18 keystone concepts that I share in the book. And as I'm telling all the different stories, I define 60 different real estate definitions. So the the you know about 210 pages of the book is that narrative and then the last 50 pages of the book is like a reference section that tells you great questions to ask sponsors about deals you know how to how to look you know questions to ask about the sponsor the market and the deal um I get into some really technical stuff about like cap rates and this thing that I call the four fudgeable factors which is income growth expenses financing and cap rates um, and then I have like a glossary at the end that has all the different definitions and refers you back to the page as an index. So uh, it, it's, I think, a really wonderful um, book for somebody who's interested in passive investing to have with them as they're looking at deals. 
Yeah, love to hear that. What's the best way for our listeners to go find that book and get a hold of you if they need to? Well, Backstage Guide to Real Estate is available on every single place that sells books, including your local bookstore. You can order it from there. But the best way to probably get it is just to go to my website, which is pacheni.com. And I'll spell that real quick. It's P like in Peter, I-C-H-E-N-Y.com. And I'm sure you'll probably put that in your show notes. You can go there to, to, to get a link to, to buy the book. Also, I have a newsletter um, that's got really good tips. And there's a blog there with lots of information. It's just a really good resource for people who are interested in getting more real estate um, education and tips and tricks. Love to hear that, man. I'm actually going to get that book right after we hop off here. So I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into it. And I highly recommend our listeners go uh, do that as well. And like you said, it will be in the show notes. We'll make sure everybody can get to that. Matt, great having you on the show, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. It was a pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.